Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Soberland. I have some really exciting news to share with you today. Soberland Podcast now has its very own website. That's right. We're on the World Wide Web. If you go check out SoberlandPodcast.com, you can find links to episodes. It takes you directly to the to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. So if you are telling someone about how great the podcast is, like your dad or your Uber driver or your optometrist or whoever, and they're like, how do I find this podcast? Just tell them to go to SoberlandPodcast.com. It's that easy. I also have a contact page if you guys ever want to message me. And we have a Soberland store with some really fun merch like tanks and tees with the Soberland logo and some with the word anxiety and word art. If you were alive in the 90s, you probably use that. Um, and also some hats and a really cool tote. So go check it out. Soberlandpodcast.com. Support the podcast and buy some shit. Thank you, guys. So getting into today's episode... I, uh, I wanted to introduce our guest. It's my my friend Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Lindsay. Yay! What do you think of the Soberland website? Are you pumped for it? I think it's really cool. I personally do remember Word Art, <laughs> and I would totally buy something that says anxiety in Word Art. Yeah, I, I think it goes with the theme of the podcast of like a focus on mental health, but kind of making it seem more inviting and approachable and kind of fun almost. That it's yeah. like okay to talk about it. So it's way more lighthearted. Like yeah, lighthearted. That's what I that's, like about it. That's a good word. Yes, you and I we met in AA recently. We did. I was like, this girl seems cool. I want to be her friend, and we started hanging out. We went roller skating. Yeah. Except we didn't. We didn't. Except go. yeah, <laughs> everyone went roller skating, and you and I did not go roller skating yeah. because. Uh, I think because we're smart. Yeah, because we're smart. Yeah. Because we don't want to like break any bones or get a concussion. Mm -hmm. um, I had my birthday there a few years ago as well, and I got a concussion. So I am traumatized by that place, and I'm terrified to go on roller skates. Yeah, and um, I have never gone on roller skates, and I just don't plan to. Yeah, it's just a bad idea. Yeah, I just feel like I'm going to be the person that's going to like break my arm, and I cut hair for a living. And if that happens, I'm kind of out of the job. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what would you me. What would you do? You just you'd have to like learn how to do it with like your feet or something. Yeah, probably <laughs> toe cuts. We're, so you were telling me kind of a fun fact about you. You have a love for cats. I do. I am a crazy cat lady, born and raised. <laughs> My mom was a crazy cat lady. Yeah. Um, how many cats do you have? So I personally have one cat. His name is Chunk. He's oh a God. Himalayan, which means that he's like a smush face, fluffy, grumpy cat. And he's amazing. Like that famous grumpy cat? Yeah. Like oh, he's imagine like that. grumpy cat, but fluffy. So you were raised with cats or raised by cats? Pretty much <laughs> both. Um, yeah. I grew up, my mom always had Maine Coon cats. So if you don't know what that is, they're the largest breed of domestic cats. Like they're, how large are we talking? They're huge, like 30 pounds large. Oh like my God. Ginormous. Like I'm, I'm a little munchkin. I'm like five feet tall. And when I hold one of them, like I call it the Superman stretch. When I stretch him, he's the same height as me. <gasps> Holy so shit. So they're huge. Wow. I've never seen a cat like that before. I'm going to have to Google. That's like almost the size of my dog. Truman. Yeah. They're like bigger than dogs and they act like dogs. So they're really cool. Wow. And so how many cats does your mom have? So I think she's had four or five Maine Coons now. Um, and she actually 
my mom's obsessed with Law and Order SVU, and I grew up watching it all the time, which is crazy. But you know, it's it is what it is. It's always on. It's always on. And um, she names all of her Maine Coon cats after the detectives. So she has um, Sergeant John Munch, Detective Elliot Stabler, Detective Olivia Benson, and Captain Donald Cragen. Wow. Yeah, we've got the whole squad. Like, So if they're in trouble, does she have to scream out their entire name to get their attention? I mean, <laughs> we, have, we have like Munch and Elliot and Olivia. And then Captain Donald Cragen is really... You know, we have different nicknames for him. We call him Ryan because he looks like a mix between a rat and a lion. <laughs> um, we call him the yellow because he's the yellow one. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. Lots of names. Or the dawn. Dawn of all time. <laughs> oh, my god! We want to be mysterious. That's great. I love that. But I like to read positive news stories because I feel like the news is so depressing. Okay. So there's actually like a website and it's there's it's actually in I found out in like um, the Apple News in your phone as well. You can find like a positive news section if you ever just like you know oh, need that uplifting cool. news. But yeah. so the first one that caught my attention was this one. It's uh, when college students find forty thousand dollars hidden inside a used couch, they end up getting an A plus for honesty. So I guess. This happened five years ago, so I don't know why this website just published it now, but um, <laughs> I guess these college students found $40,000 in, like, a couch that they bought off, like, Craigslist. And, That's uh, crazy. I know. They were, this was in May 2014, and they had been preparing to cozy up onto their newly purchased secondhand couch when they reached into the couch cushions and started finding uh, envelopes stuffed with cash and lots of them. The three students initially were elated by their discovery, but eventually found an envelope with a woman's name written across the front. So I guess I they mean, I have so many questions. Yeah. What are your questions? Well, why? Why was forty thousand dollars <laughs> in envelopes stuffed into a couch yeah. with a woman's name on it? Like yeah, it's, that's it's just weird. A, a peculiar place to um, store your rainy day I cash, mean, if that's what I, it was. I know some people. Or your drug money. Yeah. Or your some people are n nervous to put their money in the bank because they're afraid the bank's going to like take it. But I, it probably was more a drug thing. Like they don't yeah, want to put that I much mean, money. Putting it in a couch and then selling the couch on Craigslist and just like forgetting <laughs> that you stashed your $40,000 in it. That's a lot of money to return. Honestly, I don't, I don't know like, if I do it. I know from <laughs> envelopes and a couch. I don't know if I would do it. And like, it's just one woman's name written on one envelope. Yeah, How did, did they it say like Linda? And then they were like, does someone named Linda live here? <laughs> they just sent out like a, a post looking for Linda. We have your money. And then someone responded. We have your $40,000. <laughs> and some guys like, I'm Linda. He just like comes and takes the money. Oh, my God. I don't know. Uh, that's it. I mean, that's good on them, but I don't know if I do that. Yeah. Um, okay. This one. After grandma accidentally dialed wrong number, she sparked uh, unlikely friendship with a woman who needed it most. Okay, so last year, Grandma Margaret, Margaret dialed what she thought was the phone number for her grandson, Barry. She left him a voicemail. As it turns out, she had mistakenly dialed the number of a woman named Callie. Upon hearing the voicemail, Callie immediately called Grandma Margaret, Margaret and told her that she had dialed the wrong number. Despite the correction, Grandma Margaret would continue to reach, trying to reach Barry, only to leave voicemails on Callie's machine. Um, after several misdials, however, she started to call Callie on purpose. 
Okay, grandma sounds crazy. Yeah. Um, the two began sharing weekly phone calls so they could swap stories and chat about their lives. Callie was particularly grateful for the companionship because she had been going through a rough time with her family and appreciated having someone to talk to. So finally, after one year of phone calls, Callie drove out to town to meet Grandma Margaret in person last week. I don't know if I'm creeped out by this, or, I mean, it's a nice story, but... I mean, has Callie ever watched Catfish? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would trust it. I what mean, if, it's sweet, but it's also, like, a little creepy. Yeah, what if we got the guys from Catfish to come out here and be like, is this really Grandma Margaret? And then they find out it's actually some creepy guy. But I would actually be worried about my grandma being like, Grandma, stop talking to random people. Yeah. Yeah, Grandma. <laughs> You're going to get Dietrich. murdered. I mean, I'm really glad it worked out well, but could have gone bad. Yeah, that could have gone bad real quick. <laughs> Thank God she's okay. Um, well, cool. So you, I wanted to talk about you today because you um, obviously are sober because we met in AA, but I don't know like the story um, about, about you like so would you mind kind of sharing with us no not at all okay cool should i that would be awkward if you were like no i'd really rather actually (laughs) now that i think about it i don't want to share i'm gonna go (laughs) um should i start from the beginning yeah wherever you want yeah okay so um i grew up in a little town that you might have heard of called calabasas where the kardashians are from Where the kardashians are from um, did you grow up with uh, Kendall and Kylie? Or I, I did not. I mean, they're they're a bit younger than oh, me. Oh, right, right. But um, yeah, we definitely like my my younger sister. I think was like friends with them for a little bit. So yeah, you'd be closer in age, I guess, to like Rob. Yeah, one of my sisters definitely, I think, had a, a Vegas experience with Rob. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Pre- Before he pre weight gain. Yeah, pre okay. crazy weight gain. Okay. Yeah, he was a pretty cute teenager. I he mean, was. I remember like when the show first started out, yeah. But I grew up out there. Um, my mom is a normie, which means that she drinks, she mm. smokes pot, she does everything, but kind of in moderation. And um, my dad is a sober alcoholic, and he actually got sober through Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and I have three sisters and all four of us were born within four years. Wow. Um, so I'm kind of sandwiched in the middle. I'm second to last and I'm the total black sheep. Um, so yeah. Why do you say that? I'm just, I think like I, as a kid even was always very just like shy and quiet and introverted and kind of in my head and like a little bit weird And my three sisters were always really, like, outgoing and had so many friends and crazy and, like, screaming all the time. And I'm, like, sitting in the back of the car, like, looking out the window. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was definitely hard growing up in Calabasas and feeling like a weirdo um, when you have three beautiful sisters who fit in. Mm, So I think, like, like, I can't remember a time where I didn't fit in or I, I felt like I did fit in. Um, and when I was, I think like, I mean, I always wanted to drink and do drugs. Like, I don't even know when the obsession started, but like when I was eight years old, I also, my parents are divorced. Um, and my mom, they divorced when I was really young. I was probably like three 
And um, my mom always had us live with her um, single divorced girlfriends and their kids. So there were always so many people in our house. Wow. Um, so it would be like your mom, this my, other mom, like your mom's friend, yeah. and then just like a million children. Yeah. Like for a while, it was like my mom, her best friend, me and my three sisters, and my mom's best friend's three daughters. Wow. That so, sounds like it could be kind of fun at times, but also chaotic. Totally. It was super fun, like having seven little girls, like basically between the year, like not far in age apart Mm -hmm. but um it was also really chaotic and I think our moms like you know they did the best they could but um they really didn't have a lot of time to kind of like baby us or watch us or or see what we were doing they were working and and trying to like provide for us um so yeah I think I was saying that because like I even remember when I was like eight years old um me and one of the girls would take computer paper and we would pick grass from outside and we would wrap the grass in computer paper like little joints because oh we would see our mom smoke joints oh. and we would sit on the trampoline and like smoke grass out of computer paper. Is that okay to do? I don't think so. <laughs> like now when I think back, I'm like computer paper is like bleach and yeah. just really not healthy. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I think I always just fantasized about it. Like, I was obsessed with the idea of of just being able to, like, escape through something. Um, I think I started drinking when I was, like, 12. I don't really, I don't remember, like, my first drink. But um, I do remember the first time I blacked out. I was, like, probably 12. Um, I was with a friend. I was with some older boys. And... I remember I drank a water bottle filled with vodka. I drank the whole thing. And I'm small. I'm like, I'm five feet tall. Um, I probably weighed like 90 pounds. Oh my and gosh. So Was it I, straight vodka? Straight vodka. <gasps> so I blacked out. I don't remember anything from that night. And then I woke up in my friend's little sister's twin bed. Because I think there were like two little twin beds in the room, like covered in piss. And just having no idea what happened the night before. Oh, wow. And feeling really, like, ashamed. I was so young, I didn't really understand. But also feeling like, I can't wait to do that again. Mm. It just kind of felt like that's what you're supposed to do, like, when you're older. That's what you're supposed to do to be cool. Yeah. I think I was really obsessed with just being a part of something because I felt like such a black sheep. And so, to me, at least drinking and stuff, it kind of it made me feel like I would fit into something. Yeah. Even if it was like the crowd that, that most people would be like, I don't want to hang out with them. To me, it was like, oh, those are my people. They're weird and they drink and do drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in high school, um, I basically had alcohol poisoning every weekend. Oh my for gosh. For like four years. Did you go to the hospital? I never went to the hospital, but I would, dr- I'm, I'm just someone who shouldn't drink anyway, even if I weren't an alcoholic, mm-hmm. um, because I definitely am allergic to alcohol. So I would drink way too much. Like me and my, my little best friend in high school at the time, who was like my size would walk around with like a giant handle or like a half gallon of, um, Bacardi and oh we would gosh. finish it. And I would spend the night vomiting. And I, I was like, it's so bad. I was like a peer. 
like I would pee in like people's closets <laughs> oh or like God. my friend's um, aunt was like the founder of Barbie. And like one night I like peed on her floor and I totally peed on her like limited edition. <laughs> you peed on Barbie? Yes, <laughs> I peed on Barbie. Oh no. So um, yeah, just, and then I would wake up and for like two days after I would be vomiting. I'd go to school and I would just be vomiting. Oh, wow. Like I, I would be so sick. I'd be like driving home in the morning from wherever I slept and have to pull over like five times to throw up just to drive like a mile back to my house. So oh. how old were you then? So I I guess I went to high school and I was 13. I'm a little bit young for the grade mm -hmm. I was in. So this is like 13 to 17. Okay. Like while I'm in high school, just every weekend. During wow. the week, I, I smoked a lot of pot. I sold pot. I think my, my older sister had a boyfriend who sold pot. And I remember he would just have like pounds and pounds of pot. And he would Jeez. give me some to sell. And I even like I would go to football games and I would have bags of like oregano and like a little bit of pie. <laughs> and I would convince these like poor, innocent high school students to give me like $20 for like a bag of oregano. Oh my God. So I was like, I was scheming. They're like, why am I not getting high? Totally. I'm like, you don't know what high is. It's fine. You won't know the difference. <laughs> and were, were you just like keeping the rest for yourself? Yeah, uh, totally. Okay. Smoking all the pot and selling the oregano. Nice. Um, and... Yeah, I guess also it was always really, like, okay for me to drink and smoke, like, growing up. Um, my mom used to call it stony sleepovers, and she would let me have all of my girlfriends come over, and we would get really stoned, and she would buy us, like, skinny cow ice creams. Because <laughs> you can't get fat. That's what's important. You can't get fat, but you can smoke pot <laughs> in a safe environment. That is what she taught me. Um, which I, you know, I don't know if it's the wrong thing to allow your kid to experiment or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, my other sisters are fine. Like, I don't blame my mom. I'm not mm -hmm. an alcoholic or a drug addict because of my mom. I think it is my genetics. I think, like, my dad's an alcoholic. My mom's mom was an alcoholic. Like, there's a ton of alcoholism in my family. Mm -hmm. But I, I really think that it was just something I was born with. It wasn't something that happened, like, because of my environment. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was doing a lot of that. Um, I was throwing up a lot. <laughs> I was peeing a lot. Um, <laughs> lots of things are coming out of your body. <laughs> lots of things coming out of my body, like early on. Um, when I was 17, I went to college. Um, I went to University of Oregon. And one of my sisters was going to school there. So I think, like, I got in and I also felt like it was safe because I was really, really scared to leave the house. Like, I was scared to make friends. I couldn't imagine going somewhere where I didn't know anyone. So I decided to go to school where my sister went, which was also cool because my sister was older and her friends could buy me alcohol. Mm. So I, I moved to Eugene, Oregon, and just, like, immediately started drinking like so much like I remember my 18th birthday going out with my friends blacking out I guess this was the night before waking up on my 18th birthday in my ex-boyfriend who I dated in high school and he went to school there too okay. but we weren't speaking I woke up in his bed again covered in piss oh, no. laying on a towel he was like happy birthdays you know why you're laying on a towel and I was like, oh, fuck. I like, first of all, can't believe I'm in this guy's bed. Second of all, I'm covered in piss. 
and I peed in his bed. And third of all, it's my 18th birthday. And like, this is how I'm waking up Mm -hmm. and like having to walk home, like doing the walk of shame and just being like, knowing that I had a problem. Um, I knew really early on. And I mean, of course I didn't stop drinking for a really long time, Mm -hmm. but yeah. So I think I was living in Oregon. Oh, I was introduced to my first best friend, which was ecstasy. (laughs) Someone gave me ecstasy the night I moved to Eugene, Oregon. And that to me, like all of a sudden I was like, cause I, I dealt with a lot of depression as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and growing up and I took ecstasy, Molly, MDMA, whatever the cool kids are, whatever it's called now. Yeah. Um, and immediately I was like so happy and I was laughing and I loved everyone and my body felt good and I just felt comfortable. Like I never felt comfortable. And so taking it was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Also, you, I, at first I was taking it and I was like, I don't have to drink while I'm on this, which means I'm not going to get sick tomorrow. Or pee the bed. Or pee the bed. <laughs> I'm in control. I remember things. Mm. So, um, yeah, I was living in Oregon. Eventually, I think soon after my 18th birthday, and I just I kept blacking out, and it, it was bad. And I, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm just going to start taking a lot of ecstasy and smoking pot. Mm. So um, I did that. I got super fucking depressed because ecstasy totally depletes your serotonin. Right. Um, which was the first time that I went on antidepressants, which is a really dangerous thing I was going to say, were you taking the antidepressants and still doing the ecstasy? Yeah, Yeah, that's dangerous. So I started taking Prozac, and I was taking Prozac, and I was taking the ecstasy Hmm. um, because I thought, like, that would balance it out because when you wake up the next day, I wasn't vomiting, but I definitely wanted to kill myself. Yeah. Like, you just are so depleted of happiness or anything and I was feeling so anxious yeah it's like a similar thing with like cocaine I feel like you wake up feeling just like completely miserable like the coming down from it from any drug really I feel like it's just horrible totally it it definitely took a toll on me and halfway through the year I just like couldn't do it anymore Um, and I decided that I didn't want to be in college anymore because it wasn't me. It was the fact that I was in college and I was too special to be in college. I also felt like I didn't really make friends in college. Like I met the girl next door who's still my best friend to this day. Like we were the little weirdos who like we had older friends. We wanted to go to bars. We didn't want to play like flip cup in the dorms. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of my sisters at the time was living in New York and she was a stylist. Um, and I remember coming home during like spring break and being like, Emma, like, I just want your life. Like, what do I have to do to move to New York? And she was like, well, you're so good at doing hair. Why don't you become a hairstylist? Hmm. And it was like, Oh, light bulb. Like if I become a hairstylist, then in one year, I can graduate school and I can move to New York City and I can go to dive bars and I can find my people, like the people who want to drink and do drugs the way that I do. Mm -hmm. So I dropped out of school. I moved home. um, I went to hair school. I think like I was living at home maybe for like a month before I went to hair school. And I was like, okay, you are not allowed to drink. Like, do not drink. It's going to ruin everything. So I didn't drink. 
And then, of course, I got into hair school. I met someone. I went to a party one night. I said I wasn't going to drink. Halfway through the night, I was drinking. Mm. And then it was on. Like, from then, I was in hair school for 10 months. And for 10 months, I was drinking and doing cocaine every single night. Oh, wow. Like, I would get home at 6 in the morning. I would go to sleep for an hour. I would wake up, and I would go to school. And I would go to school. I mean... I would go to school and I would like be vomiting in the bathroom, but I, I showed up and I graduated. Wow. Somehow. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually pretty impressive. <laughs> I mean, I don't think probably I would do it now. You probably wouldn't recommend it, but no, definitely <laughs> not. Um, but I did graduate. And then after graduating again, I was just like depleted. It wasn't me. It was LA. I was ready to move to New York. I booked a one way flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and at 19, I moved to New York City. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I moved there. How old, sorry, how old are you right now? I'm 27. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, 19, I moved to New York. And actually, my my best friend that I had met in Eugene, Oregon in college, who also was a little weirdo and, like, didn't make friends either, mm-hmm. she also moved to New York. Okay. So it was like... We were these like little kids in New York City and it and for me it was like being a kid in a candy store. Like I always had fake IDs um because of my older sisters and if it wasn't my older sisters I I just always had a fake ID. Like I'd get one taken away, I'd get a new one. Mm-hmm. Um so I just even though I was 19, like there was never any fear in me that I wasn't 21. Like I would just walk into a liquor store like I own the place mm-hmm. and I would buy booze and I would go to bars and people would card me and I looked like I was five. <laughs> and I just like, I just had this confidence. Like to me, I got such a rush from pretending to be, uh, I guess like older or someone I wasn't mm-hmm. that like part of that was like part of the high for me was just like buying the booze and being like, like getting away with it, yeah, getting yeah. away with yeah. it. And, um, yeah. So I moved to New York I decided I'm not allowed to do cocaine anymore <laughs> when I moved to New York because I, I wanted to get a job at a fancy hair salon, which mm-hmm. I did end up getting, um, which was kind of like my dream job. Um, and I was like, okay, you cannot do cocaine. Like, that's your problem. You can drink. You can't do coke. So I think that lasted two months. <laughs> I went out one night and someone offered me coke and I was like, why not? Like, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? And then for like four years, I was doing coke. Like, I guess, I don't know. I guess it would vary, but like at least probably three times a week. Mm -hmm. Like, like when I say three times a week, I mean like three times a week, I was spending like at least a hundred dollars on cocaine. Oh, wow. So it was like, I would, I would do it all night and then I would wake up and I would go to work and I just, it was not a good time. Mm -hmm. And I think like three, maybe like four years into it, I um, was I went to work and I had 10 clients that day. Wow. And on the 10th person, I had my first panic attack. Um, it kind of came out, I, I like to say it came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of doing way too much cocaine the night before and not sleeping and probably not drinking water or eating food. And then like overexerting myself by by being on my feet all day. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a panic attack and I, 
it was like the scariest thing that had ever happened to me. I actually thought I was losing my mind. And one of my coworkers gave me a Valium. And as like in high school, I did abuse uh, like Xanax and Valium. I always had, but to me it was like, you take that when you get home with like a glass of wine. Like you don't take it like at a, work. Like a housewife. Yeah, I was like a housewife. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny because at the end of my drinking, I was like taking Prozac and Valium and drinking wine. I was like calling myself the housewife. Yeah, like the real housewives of Orange County. Yeah. You could have been on there. Totally. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So I had the panic attack. My coworker gave me a Valium. And I felt so much better. I like instantly had that feeling that I had from ecstasy where Mm. I was like, holy shit, I feel calm. I feel like I can talk to people. I feel just fucking calm. And and I was like, okay, I realized that I was having a lot of anxiety. And I thought the cure to that was, okay, go to a doctor and get prescribed benzos, which is my my you know, former best friend, which is Xanax, Valium, Klonopin, and Ativan. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Wait, wait, you prescribed all of those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was oh like, gosh. I was, I got really, really good at finding doctors and manipulating doctors to give me whatever I wanted. Wow. So, um, yeah, I think at first I got prescribed... I mean, I think, like, Xanax and Klonopin, but, like, they all had different purposes for me. Like, Xanax was, like, to make me pass out, go to sleep. Klonopin, like, I could take them all day like candy, and I, I felt like no one could tell. Like, I was just really calm. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't, didn't do to me what it did to other people. Um, and so for the last year I was living in New York, I did have to quit my job because I was having a mental breakdown and I thought it was my job, not the fact that I was taking a lot of benzos Mm -hmm. and like at irregular times. Were you still drinking too on them? I was drinking, but I mean, I was definitely drinking. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I was drinking. (laughs) Um, But when I met my best friend, Benzo, um, I started drinking less because actually um, what what those pills do is they inhibit the same part of your brain as alcohol. And so I was getting those effects that I wanted, but I wasn't vomiting. Mm. Um, So for me, it was like, oh, I figured it out. Like, I'm not going to throw up. I feel I have these pill, these magic pills that are making me like able to talk to people and I don't have anxiety. And as long as I don't take too much and I'm not like walking on the moon, I can like get through the day. Um, but yeah, the problem with how I was taking them was I was, I was mixing them, which you're not supposed to mix different kinds. And I was taking them irregularly. So I would start going through withdrawals and because I was going through withdrawals that causes panic attacks. So Mm -hmm. I would have a panic attack and then be like, oh my God, I need more. So my mind totally became, I mean, I was physically addicted, but I was also so psychologically addicted that I thought that. I, I mean, I needed these pills. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't think I had a problem. I thought that I had a panic disorder and an anxiety disorder. And these things were keeping me alive and functioning. Mm-hmm. And the answer was just more pills. More pills. Yeah. More pills. When it was actually doing the harm that you were it trying to avoid. It was causing the panic attacks and the anxiety. Yeah. Wow. Um, so eventually, maybe like a year after I left my dream job, um, 
I just was burnt out. I was exhausted. I moved back to L.A. Um, I had to take an adult time out. I lived with my parents for like two months. Um, and I guess I, I should backtrack. Um, my boyfriend, I met my boyfriend when I was 19, like when I lived in New York. We were the boyfriend you're with right that now? I'm with right now. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. So um, my only friend that I knew when I moved to New York, I got there and she partied the way I like to party. So like we instantly connected and she had all these like cool nightlife friends that were like super punk and just like weird. And like, that's what I was looking for. And, um, we, the first night we went out, she was like, Oh my God, I'm dating this guy. I'm like in love with him. You have to meet him. And I met him and he was also with his brother who is my boyfriend. So, um, he also liked to party the way I like to party. So it was kind of like a match made in like dysfunctional heaven. <laughs> party heaven. Yeah. Like <laughs> for the first three months we dated, we were just, we were never sober together. We never did date things. We were at bars and partying the whole time. Mm-hmm. And um, then he was like a little like crust punk gypsy. So like three months into us dating, he moved to Hawaii and I was heartbroken and, and he leaves my New York story for three more years. Okay. And so probably like the last year and a half I was in New York. Um, he had moved back to New York and we had reconnected and we were like, okay, let's do this. Like, let's start dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were living together. He's an alcoholic. I knew he was an alcoholic. He knew he was an alcoholic. Like he would try and stop. I thought that my life was falling apart because of how he was drinking because he was getting fired from jobs and I was having to support us. And he um, just like, like I just blamed all of my problems on his drinking, mm-hmm. which further made me feel like I didn't have a problem. Cause for me, I was drinking, but not that much. I was taking pills and he was drinking vodka for breakfast. Oh, wow. So I was like, that's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I'm not an alcoholic. Um, so I left, I took my adult time out. I left him in New York with our apartment. I literally came home one day and was like, I just booked a one-way flight to LA. I have to go. Wow. Um, What did he say? It was tough. He was like, are you like, what? We have this apartment together. What do you mean? And I was just like, I can't, I like, I just, my life is falling apart and I have to go and let's just figure it out. And so what we figured out was, um, he ended up a couple months later moving to LA and we got an apartment in Highland Park and uh, things just kind of stayed the same. They like didn't get better. We lived in what we refer to now as our tiny hellhole. <laughs> it was like this little back house, but um, it was basically a studio converted into a one bedroom apartment or a one bedroom like tiny house. Mm-hmm. And we were both just drinking constantly. We were miserable. So you basically just changed your location. Yeah, I pulled a geographic. Yeah, I was like, you're doing the exact same thing you're doing in New in York. My life is happening. It's New York. Mm. And so I took a time out, and then I it was just on again. I moved to Highland Park, and it was everything that was in my life in New York, but now in LA. Mm. Um, I was taking all the pills. I found new doctors in LA who would prescribe me different pills. 
In New York, it was kind of hard to find Valium. In LA, it's very easy <laughs> to find Valium. So that that kind of, I went from taking all of those things to pretty much just Valium. And um, I just, I was still having my panic attacks, my mental breakdowns, and um, I, I was dealing with a lot of like trauma stuff. Like something came up from my past. My two of my sisters started dating guys we went to high school with, and um, those boys, their best friend, sexually assaulted me when I was fourteen. Oh no! So I I really had blocked it out, but then I started seeing pictures of this guy and this guy with my sisters, and it, it brought everything back. And it, I had to finally deal with this trauma that like I had never had to deal with before. And um, the way I dealt with that was I just pushed my family away. I was like, you guys are around this person. Like I... Did they know what had happened to you? They did. I did oh. tell them. Um, and I, I didn't handle it the right way. I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to handle that, but uh, yeah. they yeah. didn't handle it the right way. It's not like they were given a rule book. Mm -hmm. um, but as long as my sisters were with those boyfriends, I didn't want anything to do with my family. Um, so my life got really small. I started isolating. I was pushing everybody away. I was so depressed and it was just me and my boyfriend and my boyfriend was drinking so much. He was like losing his mind. And finally, um, one of my friends, like actually one of the girls I lived with growing up, uh, bought her first house, which was in Highland park and she needed someone to paint it. And I was like, Oh, Jesse can paint it for you. Cause in my mind, she was going to pay him enough money that he would be able to take that money and buy me an engagement ring. Because uh. I thought, oh, if I just get married, then everything will be better. Mm -hmm. um, and so he went to paint the house. And, well, I guess leading up to this, he started struggling with anxiety. And I was like, oh, you just have to take some benzos. <laughs> You're like, look, I have all of your answers yeah, right so here. I was like, come to my doctor my doctor prescribed him an absurd amount of Ativan, and he started taking Ativan. And I didn't realize at this point how much he was drinking. Like, I knew he was drinking a lot. I didn't realize that he was drinking, like, pints of whiskey a day when I went to bed. Mm. And you can hide drinking when you're an alcoholic. You cannot hide drinking and pills. Mm. Like, it's very obvious yeah. very quickly. So he's painting the house. I'm outside swimming with my friend. I come in. He looks so fucked up and he's like on a ladder painting. And I was like, let's go back outside. Like I tried to cover it up and we came back in and he had fallen off the ladder. He was passed out on the floor. There was paint all over her wood floor. It was oh just no. a fucking mess. And I had to run up to him and be like, are you okay? And I lied to my friend and I was like, I think he just, he, he just passed out because of the heat and but you knew what was really going on? I knew what was going uh, I knew what must have been going on. Mm. So um, I took him home. He said he had two beers and half an Ativan, which, like, I kind of believed because I was, like, I didn't know at this point about how much hard liquor he was drinking. Uh, okay. Um, so I got home. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I finally called his brother, who's a good friend of mine, and was like, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do. Your brother needs help. We were both like, God, he's such a lightweight. Like, <laughs> we really thought, like, I guess he just drank a lot of beer and, like, got too drunk. Yeah. And um, his brother had me call his dad. And luckily, his whole family 
suffers from alcoholism. Like his grandmother had alcoholism. Um, his uncle died of alcoholism. So his dad knows what to do. Okay. And is uh, his dad sober now? His dad's not sober. Oh. Well, I think his dad, his dad doesn't really drink. Like, oh, I've never he seen just him been drink. around enough alcoholism to know. But everyone in his family, okay. like everyone in his life was always an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So he knew what to do. So he was like, okay, this is what you have to do. You have to, in the morning, take him to an AA meeting. And if he doesn't want to go to the AA meeting, you can be like, that's fine. Um, but you have to move out of my house. And it's like an ultimatum. Ultimatum. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know how to do that. But also I couldn't sleep all night. And so I I was sitting in my car crying and calling numbers to rehabs mm. from the Internet. Wow. Yeah. And and they were all like, honey, like he didn't just have two beers like that doesn't sound like that. And I'm like, I don't know. I really think he did. Um, but the next morning. So then I thought, like, OK, he needs rehab. Like, I don't. I don't trust, like he said he was going to stop so many times. I was like, I can't do this. He needs to go to rehab or I can't do this to myself anymore. Um, because again, it was, everything was his fault. <laughs> um, and so the next morning I was like, okay, I have to bring my friend's keys back to her and apologize. And then after we're going to an AA meeting and if you, you have to go for yourself, like not for me, but if you don't want to go for yourself, if you're not ready, that's fine. But like, this is over. And he said, okay, I'll go. Mm. Um, so I brought my friend's keys back to her and she was like, okay, I have to tell you something. I found Jesse's backpack and there's an empty bottle of Jim Beam in it, like a, a large bottle. Oh, wow. And I just like lost it. And I was like, oh my God, this is real. This is happening. But uh, he has a real problem. Like he's an alcoholic. Yeah. He's the kind that it's like so it's obvious not safe for him to yeah. stop drinking on his own. Um, so I picked him up. We went to the AA meeting, which was my first experience with AA. And I totally like related to everything they were saying. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't understand that I was relating because I was also an alcoholic. Um, mm-hmm. And I took him to a park and was like, OK, like you have right now to tell me everything. And he admitted how much he had been drinking and he was hiding it in shelves in our kitchen that I couldn't read. And um, yeah, so he went to rehab. And then for the next nine months. Um, so when he, so he went to rehab because you were saying like he was the type of alcoholic that he couldn't stop on his own because like there is with people that drink that much, there is like a very specific way that you have to come off of it. If you could just like stop like cold turkey that could actually really do some harm to your body yeah, right you can have seizures right yeah. so they like did they slowly like take him off of alcohol or like give him something else could give him some kind of medication i don't think they did i really think like um i'm not really sure honestly um, i know he went through like detox mm-hmm. at first when he was in rehab he was there for like a little over a month um but yeah, I'm not really sure what the process was. But There's probably, like, doctors there in case something does happen. They can, like, help you right away. Totally. Yeah. Um, but it was crazy. Like, after, like, the fr- I couldn't talk to him for two weeks. And then the, even the first time I went to visit him, I was like, what the fuck? He looks like a different person. Just in two weeks? In two weeks. Wow. I, like, had never, because I'd never seen him sober before. Mm. And um, I didn't know that. And so, um, yeah, basically, like, he got out of rehab. We moved out of our tiny hellhole. Oh, also, he went to rehab, and I realized that our tiny hellhole was infested with giant spiders. Ooh. 
So it it was a dark time in my life. It was like really literally, dark. it was just like the place yeah. that you lived. Even. Yeah, like yeah. I was. My house was infested with spiders. I wasn't talking to my family. I had no support. The only person that I had as a support was in rehab, and I couldn't talk to him for two weeks. So mm-hmm. it was like, it was bad. And someone suggested that I go to Al-Anon, and um, I went. I think because I had no other option. For those that like aren't familiar, how would you describe Al-Anon? So Al-Anon is basically. Um, support for people who have a family member or a friend who is drinking too much okay that's what I thought but yeah Yeah. so I was like in this room with a bunch of like nice old ladies whose like husbands drank too much Mm. or someone whose like dad drank too much and I did get relief from it um but it was kind of short-lived because he got out of rehab and um you know, maybe like three months of it, I was doing well. Like I wasn't drinking a lot and then I would go on a trip and then I would drink way too much. And, um, and then, but I was like getting a little bit better. And then I just started getting, I was drinking and I was too hungover to go to Al-Anon. That's like, that's some ironic stuff. Like I I can't, sorry, I can't go to Al-Anon because I'm too hungover. I know. And I did not think I had a problem. And, um, yeah, I spent the next nine months um, just, like, really having to prove to myself that I didn't have a problem. Because I was living with this person who, he joined AA, his whole life was getting better, he looked better, like, everything about him was better, mm-hmm. and I was getting worse, So, like, to live with someone who's doing this thing, and he never judged me. Like, he never told me to stop drinking. He never told me he thought I had a problem. He was, like, really respectful of, like, basically just being hopeful that, like, they call it in AA, like, attraction, not promotion. Mm -hmm. So, he never, like, he never talked about AA. But, like, it's so true when someone's doing something to take care of themselves. Like, you can see it. And if you're an alcoholic, like, you can smell it. Mm -hmm. And so... um. Yeah, I I spent nine months just being so miserable, having more mental breakdowns, having panic attacks because I was I was really like struggling with the pills and not wanting to take them anymore. But then I was trying to like to I'd go like a couple hours without taking them, so I would have a panic attack. So I would have to take a pill mm-hmm. because I had a panic attack. It just it, my whole life revolved around pills. Yeah, and um, yeah, I guess almost nine months into his sobriety, I went on a trip with girlfriends. I went to Miami. I was like, okay, I got this. I'm going to like moderate my drinking. Nothing's going to be crazy. I think I'm going to do a little bit of cocaine, but like, it's going to be cool. Uh, wasn't cool. (laughs) Three days later, I was crying on a beach by myself. I hadn't eaten. I hadn't slept. Um, and I had taken an absurd amount of Valium and cocaine and Adderall and I was drinking the entire time. That's so dangerous. Did you ever come close to like ODing or having something health-wise? I think like one time. Or was your tolerance just so high? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was fine. Um, I mean, I think I was fine. Like one time I remember in New York, I I was doing, I was taking like Oxys, mm. um, which is basically like synthetic heroin right. and doing a lot of coke. And I remember being like in a cab going over the Williamsburg Bridge and like my heart was beating out of my chest and I couldn't breathe. And I w- had to like put my head out the window 
And I think I, maybe it was like a mini overdose, but I was just like, I didn't believe in God, but I was like, please God, like if I can survive tonight, I'll never do that combination again. <laughs> and I didn't do that combination again. You stuck to your word. I stuck to my word. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cocaine, oxy, bad idea. Yeah. Don't do it. So then, so what happened? You were on the beach in Miami. So when I was you on the beach. I'm crying. And um, it just like popped into my head. It was like, I have to go to AA tomorrow. Mm. And I had never thought about it before. Like I knew I, I would want maybe like three times in that nine months I went to AA with my boyfriend. And I remember thinking like, everyone's so cool. These are the people I want to be friends with. Like, like I totally relate to what they're saying. Mm. But again, I like didn't understand that why I related Mm -hmm. and um I was like yeah I I have to go to AA and so I called my boyfriend and I was having mental breakdown which he was used to and I was like I have to go to AA and he was like okay I'll take you to a meeting tomorrow wow and um he picks me up from the airport and the next day I went to my first AA meeting as someone who was there for myself really struggled with calling myself an alcoholic because again like I was watching him drink so much and that was an alcoholic so the fact that I wasn't drinking as much and the fact that doctors were prescribing me pills regardless of how I was finding those Mm -hmm. doctors um I just like made it okay it made it okay and and I just really struggled with like labeling myself alcoholic mm-hmm. um, because my alcoholism looks so different. It mm-hmm. looked different than his. It looked different than my dad's. I know I like didn't talk about him, but he's been sober for 32 years. Um, and like when he had to stop drinking, he lost everything. Like I have a brother that I've never met because of it. Like wow. he was an actor. He had to like leave his whole career behind. So like that was an alcoholic to me. Like even like though very rock bottom. Yeah, even though I was yeah. I was totally falling apart inside. Mm-hmm. On the outside I owned my own business. I had lived in New York. I had lived in LA. Like I could take myself on vacations like I to me that was like enough stuff that it was like you probably don't have a problem Mm -hmm. now I know that that none of that stuff matters right but um yeah he took me and it was like it was the first time I felt like I had gotten relief like in my entire life like real relief and um that first day he took me to a meeting and then actually like the only friend that I made in Al-Anon um, was also an alcoholic. Mm. So I told her, I texted her and was like, like I had been saying for our friendship, like, yeah, eventually I'll probably end up there, but I'm not ready yet. And so I told her and she was like, wow, good for you. Come to a meeting with me tonight. And um, I didn't want to go, but my boyfriend was like, you know, the whole thing with AA is like, you just say yes to everything. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to. But, like, I'm desperate. I need something. So, like, if he's saying you say yes in AA, I'll just do the AA thing. And she took me to a meeting, and I met my sponsor, and I met, um, like, girls who are now, like, my closest friends. And I just – I felt like I fit in. Mm -hmm. And so I think now I'm, like, a year and change sober. And – I don't really care about calling myself an alcoholic anymore. I'm not like a grateful alcoholic, but like 
if I have to call myself an alcoholic and that means that I get to be sober and I get to have genuine friendships and I get to be healthy and I'm not having mental breakdowns and I'm not carrying vials of pills in all of my purses, like I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. Like I'll call myself an alcoholic. Yeah. And I like that you're saying the thing with AA is that you say yes to everything. I mean, like obviously like with discretion, but like, with for this podcast, for example, I like asked you yeah. and you were like a little uncomfortable. You're like, but if it helps you, then I'll, then yes. Yeah. And, um, I'm really glad that you said yes. Cause this, this conversation has actually really helped me like oh, to good. be honest. I'm yeah. Glad. Um, yeah. Cause I actually, I had, um, my first panic attack in sobriety on Saturday Oh wow. and yeah, it was sparked, I think by like a lot of caffeine and just kind of like exerting myself too much to the point where I just kind of like had a little breakdown and I was mm-hmm. in a restaurant with friends and I had to, I had to leave in the middle of dinner and, um, like and drive myself home. And I, I feel like I was kind of shaken up for a few days after that. It was coming down from, it was really hard. Totally. And, and you don't have anything to numb it with. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like really the past few days really wanting to drink just not to get blackout drunk, but just to feel some relief from my anxiety. And totally. I feel like, yeah, I feel like if I relapse and drink, drink again, it's going to be because of my anxiety. I just feel like I need some kind of relief, it's like can be unbearable. And it's just, so especially this week I've struggled. So it was just, um, nice to like hear your story as a reminder yeah. you know, of and what an alcoholic is. And, and I mean, I'm sober now yeah. but, and I'm not taking pills that are causing panic attacks, but I do still have a panic disorder. Right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really ever, I mean, it gets better, but it does get better. Like right now I would be lying if I didn't say it was better. Um, that it's kind of like, like someone explained it to me, like, um, What's it called when you have the ear thing that it's always ringing? Tinnitus. Oh, yeah. It's like having tinnitus. Like people with tinnitus, like that ringing is happening all the time, but it's just kind of background and they're not focusing on it. And that's kind of how my anxiety and panic attacks are now. Like I still have them all the time. I still have anxiety all the time. I still have like low grade panic attacks, Mm -hmm. but I'm just so used to it. That like, I'm like, oh, weird, I have vertigo or like my hands are shaking or going numb or just like yeah crazy That's things. so crazy that you mentioned the vertigo thing because people don't mention that a lot in panic attacks and I actually yeah. have that and it's really scary. Yeah. Or my least favorite is sounds get really loud to me. Mm. Like I'll be in a room of people and I work in a hair salon. So there's a lot of people around me all the time. And um, if I'm starting to panic everyone's voices get so loud and I'm trying to cut hair and do my job and get through this panic attack. And I really just want to be like, can everyone just shut the fuck (laughs) up for one minute? Because my ears hurt. Yeah. I get that too. Yeah. It's just, it's so scary at this point. I know what it is. Like I know I like I'm not dying, but it's like still feels like it. It feels like it. Yeah. And it's really, it's awful. It's miserable, but yeah, I feel like lightheaded. Like I'm going to, like I'm spinning, like mm-hmm. I'm gonna fall over, like my body is just gonna collapse underneath me. Like before I could even get up from the table at the restaurant, I had to like compose myself and like do some breathing exercises just so I could feel confident enough that I wouldn't fall if I stood up like to walk out of the restaurant. It was just like, I hate it. And I, I, I think what, like I said, what triggered it was caffeine, but also I haven't been meditating or having any kind of like quiet time lately. Um, in a few weeks now. And I, I think that definitely played a part in it. 
So it's like kind of showing me how important meditation is. Oh, if it's I, so important. Yeah, if I don't want to be s- stuck on pills, like I need to be doing something. Like, I, I don't know. Like you have to be doing something. I feel... Totally. I mean, what also like helps me and I just can't believe I'm sitting on this couch talking to you and I'm going to (laughs) say this because like I wasn't raised with religion. I'm not religious. I don't believe in it. Um, But I do have a higher power. Mm -hmm. I believe in the universe. I believe in energy. Like to me, it's kind of like a spider web. Like everything happens, connect the dots to get you to one place. Like there's different there's different paths you can take, but you're ultimately supposed to learn the same lessons throughout your life. And um, that gave me so much relief, which is like part of AA. Like one of the steps is um, uh, basically to believe in a higher power and to turn your life over to it. So like when I stopped drinking, when I went to AA, I like, I didn't, I wanted to stop drinking. I didn't want to stop taking pills. Pills were keeping me alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came in and I heard my story and I was like, whoa, I think I'm addicted to pills. Um, but there's no fucking way I could be a person in society not on pills. I need these things. Mm-hmm. Like I was so addicted to them. Um, and then I started doing like the AA 12 steps the first one is like you're powerless over drugs and alcohol. Your life is unmanageable. Mm-hmm. And then the second and third are you believe in a higher power of your understanding. Like you don't, it doesn't have to be like Jesus Christ. No offense if anyone believes in him. I'm sure he's great. Yeah. But I heard um, someone say that their higher power, oh, it was you were in that meeting where they were talking about it. It was like Lorelai Gilmore. It was yeah, like their totally. higher power. <laughs> or like a lot of people say God, but like it's an acronym for group of drunks. It means that like AA is your higher power. Yeah. Like it's, it's so not like a scary thing like I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my AA sponsor made me start praying to this God of my understanding, which is just like the universe. And um, when I started not taking pills and I got through my first day of being in the world without taking pills, and it took me a long time to get off of them. Like my first three months of sobriety were hell. Like coming off of those drugs were like, did you slowly come off of them? I did. I had to slowly come okay. off of them. Because if you don't, you can have seizures. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really, really dangerous. So mm-hmm. I, I slowly tapered off of them with a doctor that I trusted. And and he was great. He saved my life. But um, yeah, so my first day without them, um, my only defense, the only thing I had was I had to pray to a higher, to the universe. Like, I know I'm going to be okay because I've gotten to this point. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to be okay. If I just say like, like universe, like please take care of me throughout the day. Please let me see that like it, that, that you have control. I'm powerless and you have control and I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then I was okay. So I think like from that, like, like this universe thing, it, and the 12 steps, like they got me off of drugs, mm-hmm. which is so crazy. It is, if you're addicted to drugs or alcohol, like getting off of them is the hardest thing you'll ever do in your entire life. And if that's what got me through it, now when I have panic attacks, I do the same thing. I apply the same thing. I'm like... The steps. Yeah, and yeah. just like like the universe got me 
through that. So if I pray to this thing, like, please help me to get through this, help me to remember that I'm powerless, Mm -hmm. I can get through it. Which, like, as you know, panic attacks are so crazy. So for that to work is, like, the weirdest and, like, most bizarre thing ever. But I just try not to question it. Yeah. Because it works. I mean, that's a part definitely of my, like, meditation time is, like, I meditate and then I pray. Yeah. And so I... I see, like can a hundred percent see a difference in my day when I set aside that time in the morning to do that. And I've just been busy lately and I haven't done that at all in like weeks. And yeah. so I just, I think that's what definitely played a part in this. And so I've been trying to, to make time for it, but um, yeah, cause it's, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard to remember, like as weird as that sounds, like I forget every single day that I'm supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Every same. Day, I forget. <laughs> And so every night I go to an AA meeting and someone says, like, pray or meditate. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> like, as if I've never heard it before. Right. But, like, I forget. You get so caught up in, like, the busyness of life that yeah. it's, like, the last thing that you would think of is, no. like, oh, I should stop right now and meditate. take a breath and, like, yeah, yeah. regroup myself. I'm just going to keep going and keep freaking out. Right. Because it takes me, like, a good five to ten minutes to first even drop into like that meditative space because totally. it's like you can't just make that switch immediately or maybe some people can but I can't but so yeah it's like it definitely it takes up some time to get into that place and then to do it and but it's like obviously worth it if I'm not having panic attacks and I have like sanity so yeah <laughs> yeah but cool yeah awesome are we going to a meeting tonight yes the, the 731 yep. Brunswick which is a uh, it's for those of you who do not know, it is Cool Kids AA. It's oh like my God. It's like it it cracked me up the first time I went. It's basically it's in a church in Silver Lake. And there's a bunch of people who like look super cool. And they're like smoking cigarettes in the back of their trucks in a church parking lot. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this is it, my new life. It looks like an Urban Outfitters commercial. It's totally. like everyone's like super stylish. It's like and they're all our age or yeah. a lot of them are at least. And. Yeah, so it's, I feel, like, at home. Totally. <laughs> like, when I thought of AA, I just thought, like, a bunch of, like, old men sitting not around the table. Or, like, no. my dad. Or not I'm in like, Silver Lake, at least. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, really cool people. It's, like, all the people I wanted to be partying with, mm-hmm. but now we're all sober and, like, going to AA meetings on Friday nights. And taking care of ourselves, yeah. yeah. Meditating. Cool. Well, I'm excited to go yeah. with you tonight. Yeah, so that'll be great. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Like I said, it really, it helped me with uh, where I'm at right now, so. Oh, I'm so glad. Yay. All right. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah, thanks. We'll see you next week.